Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Wow. Did you watch the movie, Keith? <laughs> yes. Did you? I mean, did you watch it recently? Yeah. Okay. God. I was making sure. It's a long-ass movie, though. I don't remember every single solitary second of it. That's true. That's, well, I have it imprinted in my mind. Oh, yeah. You've seen it before, and you own it, so you didn't bother watching it. I watched it. I watched it over two nights. <laughs> I watched it. You have to. It's a, it's a special two-night event. It's like yeah. a TV miniseries. Well, no, Why is it just, so long? Well, actually, no, I was like... It was on, like I said, the night before, was it Tuesday night? I was like, oh, I should go to bed. I got home from work, started watching the movie. I was like, I should go to bed. I got to get up early. Then I'm up till, then I'm awake till like after two. And I'm like, I could have just finished the movie in this period of time and then had more free time Yeah. tomorrow. So then I watched it, part of it last night, part of it before I went to work um, yesterday and then finished it off when I got home. So it was it was it was a three parter for me. Can you imagine if movie theaters let you do that? They're it's like, oh, you need to stop now. Let's uh, we'll like stamp your ticket or something. You can come back tomorrow at you know this time when we'll be right at the part where you left off. Previously. That'd be amazing. <laughs> You're just like coming in halfway through the movie. You could just leave your po- half-eaten popcorn there. Yeah, they'll just they'll write your name on it and put a little top on the box. Beautiful. Speaking of movie theaters, so you're gonna be in Texas, you know. We're looking at and there's like an Alamo Draft House. Alamo right Draft House. Yeah, right by where we're staying. We're like, oh, let's see if they got any cool showings, right? Looking it up, and I'm like, holy shit, yes, madam is gonna be there. When gonna be playing there when we're staying? Thirty-five millimeter print. I would have. The, it was the wrong date. It's, it's the next week. Oh. Yeah. Old friend of the show. Yes, madam. That's true. But we are going to go see The Matrix, which I'd rather see Yes, Madam in the theater, in, at the Alamo. But Matrix will be fine. Yeah, that'll be pretty cool. Well, they're also doing, I guess they're doing like a Keanu month. So Ooh. they're showing a bunch of Keanu Reeves movies. And also, like the next week or the week after that is Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I'd rather see that in the theater. Oh, yeah. I would I would pay to see that movie on like a thousand foot screen. A hundred percent. I mean, one I've seen Matrix in the theater before. I'm mean, granted it was over twenty years ago, but I've never seen Bram Stoker's. I never saw Bram Stoker's Dracula in the theater. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, imagine a thousand foot screen, and you look up, and it's just a guy like giving the business, like a werewolf guy. Giving the yeah. business to a lady in a courtyard. <laughs> that movie's insane. <laughs> it's the best. It's so good. I mean, like, just on like any level, it's just like, oh, it's like re- great special effect, like old school timey special effects, really cool. It's amazing costumes, Sets, and, costumes, yeah, makeup, everything, acting, everything. yeah. And then all, and then and then all that, all of a sudden, the werewolf is just like straight up plowing somebody in an <laughs> NC seventeen scene. Yeah, you're like, you wow, know? I'm in this Shakespearean like work of art in the classical tradition, and then it's yeah, just smash cut to werewolf guy doing it. Even like fucking Keanu Reeves is like bonkers, like bad performance works for me in that because his character is just kind of an idiot. No, but I feel like also during that period, you would prob there was probably a lot of people like that 
Like we yeah. look at images and read things and perceive it a certain way. But there mm-hmm. were probably people who were just like maybe good at their job, but then just like a total dunce like otherwise. Yeah. And in that scenario, they would not, they would go completely haywire. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. You're the creature of legend, Mr. Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> then, and then all of a sudden, like, here's Tom Waits eating bugs. Oh, yeah, in the, the asylum. Yeah. Yeah, that's an incredible set. Holy shit. Yeah. You're not going to go see Cocaine Bear? I'm going to pass on that one. Which is out today or out... Friday, tomorrow. Thursday Eve. Evening. I saw it on the marquee at my local theater, the Majestic Bay. I'm surprised how many people I know seem to be into this, that movie. I think people are ready for, like, a stupid comedy. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too, like harsh on the idea no this is a funny or die video uh, yeah and that's it this is not a whole movie well i when i when i started watching the preview i was like oh this is like a some gonna be some vod thing right you know because i had I, I had no idea that this movie was in production at all until i saw like a a trailer pop up on youtube and i'm just like oh it's, yeah vod and then that fucking like kid from twitter or whatever or tiktok with the with like the uh, the mustache shows up in the first scene. I was like, oh yeah, this is obviously just uh, VOD. Like their biggest star is a kid from TikTok who made a video about working at IKEA. And then all of a sudden, it's like Ray Liotta and uh, in his uh, final screen performance. Yes, <laughs> man. I, mean, I know you can't predict those things necessarily, right. but Jesus. Well, although, you know, it kind of like maybe it's better to go out of your final screen performance this way, you know, because you're dead. Because so many times with actors and I'm not like I get it. It's just like a job. But you watch like their final movies and it's either this like I don't care anymore. I just want money. So I'm just taking jobs like that. Or it's just like, well, I made a really bad movie and it killed any magic magic that was left for me. I'm done. You know, actors rarely have a good final film unless they die when they're like 12. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was uh, Marlon Brando's was like Scary Movie 2 or something? Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, if that, if that wasn't the last one, it was one of the last ones. Wow. Let's see. Let's look that up. Marlon Brando. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's his name? The voice guy. Michael Winslow? No, from The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, Morgan Freeman? Yeah, Morgan Freeman. I mean, he's in, like, awful, like, VOD movies, like, constantly. And I imagine he's just like, you know, I've made my art. Like, I did my my work that I'm proud of. Now I can just, like, get a paycheck for this nonsense and enjoy the rest of my life as an older gentleman. Well, this is weird. Uh, He's not even showing up in Scary Movie 2, but I know he's in that movie. Uh-oh. Am I wrong about this? It's the Greenman effect. Shit. The timeline is shifted. Oh, my God. I could have swore. Who, who am I thinking of? Mickey okay, Rourke. If it's, no. Okay. So, according to IMDb, his last credit was a TV movie where the, the Big... scene was cut. If the one scene he'd filmed had not been cut, another of his last works would have been Scary Movie 2. Okay, so he did shoot a scene for it. Okay. Yeah. 
So his last credit is a TV movie called Big Bug Man, where he's the voice of someone called Mrs. Sour. It only has 42 ratings on IMDb and only three actors, so my guess is this is something that was never released. Like it was a pilot for cartoon that never got released or something. Wow. Um, so his last movie, actual film role, was The Score, which actually that's a fairly decent final movie. Can I, I want to do this uh, impression real quick because I'm looking at this article in Variety. Natasha Leone details Marlon Brando's bizarre Scary Movie 2 cameo that was never released. (laughs) (laughs) I have a VHS copy of the dailies that I got because Marlon Brando's final role, sadly for him, but luckily for me, is doing this Exorcist opening teaser. I don't know what he was thinking. Really, I mean, why would he do that? That's my Natasha Lee. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Why would you? Why would you cut that scene? I wonder. Weird. Because no, even if he didn't like do any of his lines, and it was just a still image of of him like eating a sandwich on set and arguing about how he's not going to do a performance, that would be better than anything that's been ever been in a in a in a scary mo- in one of the scary movies, just because it'd be so fucking weird. Apparently, he was very chatty on set. He had an earpiece in his ear to assist his line readings. He also had an oxygen tank and just kind of held Natasha Leone's boob because that was in the script. And he was supposed to say the power of Christ compels you. And he, he needed a re, like an airpiece for that one. Yeah. I mean, it's like I've read, I've read or heard like that for years, even like back when he was doing the Godfather is the script would be like stapled to a, the, the shirt of the opposing actor. And he'd just be reading the script off their shirt while in the middle of a scene, you know, and I, and the earpiece thing was like he was pretty was pretty common too, but it's pretty funny. When James Woods replaced him, oh, there's a step up. And she says he was uh, kind of weird. Shocking. That's great. Well, man, I love the, love reading the trades in an industry that I'm not in. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it bother you when people refer to celebrities by their first name only? Oh yeah, definitely. It drives or me like insane. some kind of a nickname. Yeah. As if they're yeah, they have intimate knowledge and in like a personal relationship. Right. Yeah, it's like you don't get to call Sylvester Stallone sly. No. That's really weird. Yeah. Or like when people refer to Leonardo DiCaprio as Leo. Yeah. Unless it's like part of their stage persona, like Michael Jackson was, you know, kind of a stage persona was to be referred to as just Michael. Like, I'm that big. You just need my first name, you know? Well, that made sense, yeah, because you, know? you didn't need to say his first and last name every single time. Yeah, Elvis, you or know. Or even that, Arnold, but when they call him Arnie, yeah, like, no, bro, that's not... Yeah. Stop being weird about it. If part of their, like, presentation as a star is to be partially by their first name and identified by their first name, that's fine. But if it's just, like, you acting like it's your, it's your buddy... Yeah. No, that's a level of delusion that uh, I do not want to participate in personally. Like if I was talking, like I was like, yo, I was like, I was like, have you seen that the new Rolling Stones music video? Mick does this crazy thing. You know, like, no, you don't get to do that. Yeah, or calling RoboCop Murphy instead of. That I'm okay with. I'm okay well, with. Okay. You... That's actually kind of a tricky one. You can't... Because he might prefer to be called Officer Alex Murphy rather than. Right. Robotic cop. It's different, I think, when it's fictional characters. (laughs) 
and <laughs> fictional slightly slightly different and calling someone solely by their last name is fine even if their last name is kind of their nickname unless their last name is a nickname that it, their nickname is a variation of their last name like you couldn't call them murph yeah. you know but you could call like you know try to think of somebody who's like that a variation like an actual person variation where they're it's a celebrity whose last whose nickname is a play on their last name i i think it'd be hilarious if you went up to like kim basinger and you were like hello basinger yes that would be weird but you could be talking about the movie so i was like i watched this new movie and then you know i like confidential and then basinger plays this uh you know prostitute that looks like veronica lake you could say that right speaking of which <laughs> you're just trying to get out of this you no dug, i'm not you dug the hole so deep i i i stand by exactly what everything i say willem you want talking about willem defoe you could call him defoe hello defoe no, I wouldn't walk up to him and say hello, Defoe. But if I'm talking about how I watched The Lighthouse, I mean, like, Defoe is great in The Lighthouse. I wouldn't have to say Willem Defoe is great in The Lighthouse. Well, that's also said, a, a journalistic uh, style thing, right? Right. You, you, you establish the full name, and then you can refer to them as something else just to save space and, you know, not keep using the sort of awkward right. full name. And then, yeah, in certain circumstances, you may never have to use the first name at all. Like, you could just say Stallone. It's a, have you seen the new Stallone movie or the new Schwarzenegger movie? That is fine. Uh, but you wouldn't say, have you seen the new Douglas movie? Referring to Michael Douglas. <laughs> so you would say, have you seen the new Michael Douglas movie? Or you'd probably just say, have you seen this movie? It has Michael Douglas in it. <laughs> I could do this for hours. <laughs> this is so. This is what happens when you get older. Like semantics start becoming like really fun. Are we animals? Actually, so, shout out to animals who do not apply this level of neurosis to that's anything a good they point. do. Must create a lot of confusion, though. They're focused on the important shit, like yeah. storing nuts in their cheeks and yeah. finding a warm hovel to sleep in. Boy, howdy, folks. Welcome to the Trash Heap Podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. I Where the just... cold open is about 30 minutes long at this point. <laughs> Have you been recording all of this? <laughs> I've been talking shit about people. You named names. I named names. I talked about celebrities. Hi, everyone. Oh, it's me, Keith. Celebs? Keith Vance. Celeb. Uh, you call them I... celebs? Yes, I'm Keith Vance. I'm joined, as always, by Elliot, my co-host. Hello. Elliot is actually someone who's never said anything bad about anybody and doesn't get hung up on these little uh, technicalities. No, he's a real, like, a chill kind of guy. He doesn't uh, let the little things bother him. No. Why are you talking about yourself in, like, the the third person? (laughs) You shouldn't be saying, my name is Elliot. And I am a chill person. I don't get hung up on the little things. I, my name is Keith Vance. That's me, the person talking right now. I do. Yeah, very detail-oriented. Crippled by minutia. Oh, man, put that on my headstone. Crippled by minutia? Hello, everyone. It's me, Elliot, co-host of The Trash Heap. Joined, as always, by Keith Vance, the other co-host of The Trash Heap. Yeah, what's this show where we're out to prove once and for all there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions, and we're giving these discarded gems a second chance. 
And we have a movie to talk about today, you know, believe it or not. Keith, what are we talking about? Life Force? Life now, Force. Now, it sounds the way I pronounce it. See, we're back in those the nitty-gritty details. It again. sounded like a question. Like, are we talking about Life Force? Did you watch maybe the wrong movie, Keith? The way I say it, it's, it's, it's actually one word. I say it like it sounds like two words, like Life Force, but it's Life Force from famed French auteur Tobey Huppert. <laughs> <laughs> Three-picture deal with uh, Canon Films. Oh my god. A this oui? has to stop. A oui? <laughs> I, 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 you keep trying to make this French uh, impression, you know, like happen, and it ain't gonna happen. I'm Keith. wearing a beret right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I can... What, what did, you, did you say a minute ago that you want on your tombstone? Oh, crap. Crippled by minutia. Oh yeah, that's it. Okay, I was gonna so, say I'll have to go back and listen now, but you you nailed it. So you want me to ensure that that happens? I guess. I mean, I'll think of something else probably next week. So don't. I mean, well, just in that case, though, shouldn't you give me? Uh, shouldn't you be giving me power of attorney? No, I don't well, have an estate or really. No, any, you don't need an estate. I've I've any assets. I have one hundred percent. I don't know if you know this about me, Keith. You probably do. That I used to be a notary public. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I've done many, uh, notarized many power of attorney documents. All we have to do is walk into an office. You sign this piece of paper that says that you're allowing me to make legal decisions for you about your life and afterlife. And uh, then I take care of the rest. The notary sounds like such a goofy, like phony job. Oh, it's completely phony. I won a contest for some free sunglasses, which this seemed crazy. But I had to, in order to get the sunglasses, I had to get this form like notarized and send it back to the company. What? Yeah, it was super weird. For sunglasses. I mean, they were expensive sunglasses. They were like $200 sunglasses. But still, I was like, this seems like, why don't you just send them to me? Yeah, that seems like that seems really. You probably actually gave them power of attorney, maybe. <laughs> and the sunglass company is is going to determine what's on your tombstone. Yeah. That's so bizarre. I have it was weird notarized hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of documents. I've never notarized anything remotely like that. Is that true? That I've notarized hundreds of that documents. That you're a notary, like is that is not that currently? But I used to be one. Really? Yeah. How did that happen? I don't know. Fucking just, just just kind of fell into it, you know. No, you're making it up. I'm not. No, I was at a. It was not my. It was not like. Uh, it was not my only part of my job, but uh, it was one thing I did. Hmm. It's really. It's all you have to do is like. There's no like class or training or certification. You just pay a bond, and then you like buy your stamp, and your stamp's like fifty bucks, or at least it used to be. It's funny that there's no training because there's lots of legal stuff and you can be sued. But there's no like training or like class or like test you have to pass. But yeah, I've notarized hundreds of documents. I mean, this was like 20 years ago, uh, but hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of documents. It's usually stuff like, yeah, power of attorney, uh, home sales, auto sales. Um, I am giving my, my pervert uncle permission to take my nephew across state line, my child across state lines, stuff like that. Uh, divorce papers. I've never had to notarize a sunglass or a redeeming, uh, rebate or anything equivalent thereof. 
Well, that's pretty interesting. But are we going to talk about space vampires? Or oh, what? yeah. So we're talking about <laughs> the movie Life Force from 1986, directed by Toby Hooper, starring Steve Railsback, Patrick Stewart, and a naked girl. Um, Listen to this cast of characters. Yeah. Listen to this. Colonel Tom Carlson, Colonel Colin Kane, Dr. Hans Falada, Dr. Armstrong, Dr. Leonard Bukowski. Bukaki? Sir Percy Vaseline and Space Girl. <laughs> this fucking movie, man. What the? Wait, fuck? what did you did you say that like one of them was Colonel Bukaki? Bukowski. Bukowski. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't honestly have been surprised if a character's name was Bukaki in this like, movie. The actor that plays him is Michael Gotthard. <laughs> no, it's probably it's probably Gothard or something like that. But when I'm looking at it here, it looks like Gotthard. Um. Yeah. 1986. Based uh, on the book of the different name. Called Space Vampires. Space, the Space Vampires. Have you read this book? No. A I, British science fiction horror novel by Colin Wilson, published in 1976. I am tempted to read this book, but I have never read it. Different from the movie, they say. How? Like how? In title? Or, I mean, or in title only or just in general? Did you watch one of those, like, screen the page comparison YouTube videos where they break down all the differences? No, I just read the Wikipedia. Mm. Well, wait, what's even the plot of this movie, for those who don't know? Bunch of British guys in space find a bunch of vampires... Okay, it's a bunch of British guys and Americans in space. In a spaceship. Oh, let's get sure. Down to, like let's get down to the brass tacks here. It's really difficult to tell them apart. It's weird. This is like a super British movie for some reason. Yeah. It has like... Yeah, that is kind of odd. I bet you in the book, every character is British. Um, but in the, in the movie, they're like, well, we got to have an American. So we'll make the main guy American. Yeah, and they got to make him like a cowboy wearing a yeah. vest and having a big belt buckle. Yeah, that 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 oversized novelty cowboy hat he wears to the whole movie is pretty distracting. Yeah, I don't know why he keeps buzzing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's not true. There's no hat. No, they're on some kind of a yeah. space mission there, and they find a they find a some kind of a derelict spacecraft hidden in the extraordinarily diffuse tale of Haley's comet right that's the, that's the mission they're on Haley's yeah. comet is passing by they got to go take a peek do some research so they've been on this space shuttle for six months or something which not that's not true that's not real yeah, and as one one character remarks he hasn't seen a woman in six months he doesn't say he hasn't seen a woman in six months he just says he's been in space for six months because there are women astronauts on the sh- on the shuttle well that's what makes it awkward see that's true. Yeah, it's kind of rude. Um, anyway, yeah, so they find these, uh, they find this derelict spaceship hidden in, in the belt or the tail of Halley's Comet. Like, it's 150 miles long. They go on board to investigate. They find a bunch of dead giant bat creatures. And then in the center of the ship, they find three perfectly presu- preserved nude humans in crystal coffins or cases tubes tubes as the british would say um then they bring them back on to the the spaceship or the shuttle and all hell breaks loose all hell breaks loose um keith what do you think of you what's your what's your right right away off the bat take on this movie like it love it hate it well there's a lot of things 
going on here, but ultimately it's fantastic. Agreed. I would say overall like 90% fantastic. It's weird because it's simultaneously complete schlock and, and simultaneously something more, you know, and it's just weird and it changes sometimes within the same scene from being schlock to like, wow, this is a really, really, really good movie within a matter of seconds. Yeah, it's big budget, ambitious schlock. Well, I mean, in an interview, Toby Hooper said, I made a 70 millimeter, because this movie was shot in 70 millimeter, which for you kids, that was a big deal. They didn't really shoot movies like that very often. We're talking about movies like Lawrence of Arabia, 2001, A Space Odyssey, Ishtar, and this. Yeah. And he goes, I made a 70 millimeter hammer film, which, I mean, that's kind of what this movie is, you know? Yeah, there's actually a lot of opinions floating around about this being a basically a like a quater mass film. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with the quater mass. I've never actually watched one, but I know like the yeah the series from the like 60s or to early 70s. Is that right? Or yeah, late something 50? like that. Something, yeah, it's yeah. like people from like Toby Hooper and John Carpenter's generation know more about it. Yeah, th- it's that was for what... older fellas. They would have grown up on that the way we grew on, up on, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and, you know, stuff Romancing like that. the Stone. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually watched that movie a lot when I was a kid because it was one it of my was dad's. It was always on TV. It was always on TV, and my dad loved it. So it was like, I think he, I mean, I, was, I remember when we got a VHS player. I think that was one of the first VHSs he ever bought. Oh, my God. $60 for a goddamn tape, and that's what he paid. Yeah. <laughs> No, this movie's pretty cool. Uh, it's it was definitely was like critically panned. It was a f- uh, a flop when it came out, and it's starting to get uh, starting to get like a cult following at at this point. Just finally, you know, the past you know maybe like five ten years, starting to like gather an audience because for a long time you couldn't get it on anything other than like VHS or a really shitty DVD. It would be on cable TV every now and then, or on ne- maybe on network, but if it was on network TV, it was heavily edited uh, for content. Even though it's not like the most violent movie in the in the world, when it is violent, it's pretty intense, and there's a lot of nudity. Yeah, it's a big, gross, loud movie. Yeah. With a lot of British guys talking. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't a big hit. And I was trying to think about why it wasn't a big hit, you know? Because, I mean, it doesn't seem... Okay, one, it's all, I think, important to note that this was produced by Canon Films, who were, like, were like schlockmeisters of the 80s, but, like, upper-tier schlock, you know? Like, they would be doing all the Chuck Norris and, like, later-day Charles Bronson movies, early Van Damme movies. And this among uh, was one of their three attempts to break into mainstream blockbusters. It was this... Masters of the Universe, and then they bought the rights to make a Superman sequel in Superman 4, you know? And this is definitely the one of those three that actually does look like a mainstream blockbuster. It uh, it doesn't have top-tier special effects, but it has very good special effects. Yeah, I'd say pretty high tier. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not like at the level of, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars or anything like that. But it's like, you know, a step a step down. And there's also a part, like I would say in the last third of the movie, you can kind of see like, I think they might have been running out of some money here, you know, because it starts to look a little bit cheaper uh, towards that. It's directed by Toby Hooper, uh, who was just off the success of Poltergeist, 
So he was like, not like an expensive director, but he was an, a director who had made a name for himself, so to speak, between Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Going from like cult indie director to like, I've directed a big budget movie written by Steven, written and produced by Steven Spielberg. And then, yeah, the movie completely flopped and their efforts fell apart to, to, to break into the mainstream. Why do you, do you, do you have any theories as to why that might be? I don't know. What am I, some kind of movie expert? I thought that's, I thought that was the case. That's the only reason why I agreed to do this podcast with you. You told me you had a degree in movie expertise. No, I went to a state college. Uh, with Bovine University? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think there's there's a few reasons why I think maybe it could have flopped. And like the review, like if you watch some of the old reviews from it, it's like people are like ridiculously hard on it. Be like, this movie's crazy and doesn't make any sense. And it, yeah, it's kind of wild, but like you can follow the plot very easily. Well, I think it, it I can't like speak to what happened at the time because I wasn't really there. I was kind of there, but not really. I was just a kid, man. You can't put that kind of pressure on me. But I think maybe it sort of set itself up as like a prestige picture. Like people were expecting like 2001 and Alien and these types of movies. And uh, it wasn't quite that. It was definitely, I think, trying to play off of Alien's success. I mean, even like those open... Well, one, the... The adaptation of the novel was done by Dan O'Bannon and uh, Dan Jacoby, and Dan O'Bannon was one of the co-writers of Alien. And the op- like those opening uh, scenes where they're going onto the ship and the des- a lot of the design of the ship and just the way they're filmed, heavily influenced by Alien. Still its own thing, but like you can see, you can see where they're like going, like, "Hey, this movie that came out a couple of years ago, we should do something like that." But yeah, it definitely was setting it up as a prestige picture and maybe it wasn't quite that you know but i think kind of like the what maybe what what hurt it and like maybe because like you say when you when you look read the negative reviews or listen to the negative reviews from the time it's just like it's crazy it doesn't make any sense what is this vampires from space blah 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 but there's plenty of other stuff that was coming out around that time that was just as absurd in, in premise i think the thing that really kind of hurts it is the main character which is steve railsback is in the first five minutes of the movie and then disappears for about 40 minutes. And the other characters that are introduced in the meantime aren't that memorable. Yeah, Steve's Railsback is also kind of a big wiener. He's, particularly on this viewing, when he first shows up, I'm like, man, he reminds me of an actual astronaut. In the sense of like his demeanor and like voice and stuff, sounds a lot of like... Like astronauts, when I've seen old astronauts from the 60s and 70s talking in interviews. Until his mental and emotional state starts crumbling at the seams. But yeah, initially, he seems okay. But he doesn't really strike me as the lead character, you know? So I I think it's easy to think pretty on first viewing, you know, when he disappears five minutes in and they find the derelict spaceship, like shuttle with all the dead bodies inside that have been consumed by the vampires that you kind of, and he's not there. It's kind of easy to assume that he is dead. Right. And then you have new characters show up and you're, you go, okay, one of these guys must be the main character, but you're not sure who that's supposed to be. And then another guy shows up, the the Colonel character. And you're like, okay, this guy must be the main character, but that's like 20 minutes into the movie. And then 
finally Steve Railsback shows up. And you're like, oh, okay, so that guy is the main character. You don't really have uh, like a person to follow throughout the movie. And it's, you know, when you watch it on first viewing. And there's plenty of movies that like maybe we'll do like ensemble pieces and jump back and forth. But that's not really how this movie's structured, you know? And not a lot of these guys are really like characters. They're just sort of like, uh, like a know-it-all like exposition buckets, and they just sort of like dump out some of their info. Yeah, which is fine, you know, given you know to a certain extent. Um, and I think upon watching when you rewatch the movie and you know what's what's you know the general idea of what's happening, and you know that Steve Railsback's character is coming back, it works better upon a second viewing. So I think maybe if you were like working on the movie and editing in the editing process and working on that sense, you could be like you, as the filmmakers, you could watch and be like, Oh yeah, this is all perfectly clear. And I know what's going to happen. So therefore this works. But I think that's the main area where something is lost in an otherwise pretty awesome movie, you know, uh, that does have some goofy corny bits oh, yeah, here and there. But like, I think those goofy corny bits would be forgiven if you had a stronger through line, you know, with the with with the, with the characters. I I think of this movie as like one man's midlife crisis leads to Armageddon, <laughs> because it's Kinda. basically like like middle aged men reacting to a beautiful young woman in the most irrational ways, and it just leads to a vampire invasion of the earth and you know the entirety well, of London being destroyed as a result. Yeah. I think it would have been more interesting too. Like, you're you're absolutely right that that's a portion of how it's presented, but they do try and play up these things with these vampires because there are the two. There's the female vampire who we follow the most, but there are the two male nude vampires who are also very handsome, portrayed by very handsome men, and we don't really get anything with them too much. And they portray them as like you having these unbelievably uncontrollable desires for these char- for these characters to the point that when the female vampire is like possessed Patrick Stewart Steve Railsback starts making out with Patrick Stewart because he's so compelled to her presence you know and i think that's actually something that's kind of unique for a movie of this time period that particularly this type of movie they're like yeah we can have Steve Railsback and Patrick Stewart make out under these circumstances um, but if they leaned a little bit more into that concept of you just can't control yourself, male, female, doesn't matter. If these things are in our presence, we want them, you know, and we want to be with them. Now, in their, in their defense, these, uh, this vampire creature, whatever you want to call it, has uh, powers, right? Right. It's a very powerful well, gets the, into your head. Right. The female vampire says to Steve Reelback, I looked into your mind and changed my appearance to match it. I'm the female, I'm the feminine piece of you, is what she says. So, yeah, it's not just like I saw, I'm a horn dog and I saw this hot naked vampire lady and I, and I want that. No, and there's actually a very like memorable scene later in the movie where uh, Steve Reelback is having like a meltdown and the, the visual of, the girl, the vampire girl, is changing back and forth from her to Patrick Stewart right. and back again as he has this meltdown. And it's a very interesting dynamic and like yes. a really tense scene. So there's yeah, some I, great like psychological 
like I, I joke a little bit about it, but there's some great like psychological elements at play here. Oh, all that stuff is really cool, and I and that's something that's kind of why I've always been why I have been more temp- tempted to read the book is I would be curious if they dive more into that psychology that's going on in these dynamics. But the fact that the book is just called the space vampires leads me to believe that maybe that's that, that stuff isn't in there or isn't executed very well. Yeah. If they did anything right, it's uh, the fact that they changed that title. Absolutely. But also maybe that title also worked against them. Maybe life force wasn't the right title. I, it sounds good to us. Yeah. But, and it's definitely better than space vampires, but maybe that's one of the reasons the movie didn't do so hot. You know, I think maybe I have to, I'm sure at probably some point or another I have watched the trailer, but I'd like to go and watch the marketing because I think Life Force is a good title for, particularly if you were kind of playing it somewhat ambiguous as to what the movie was about, you know? I mean, like, look at the trailer for the first Alien. You don't even, you don't know anything about that other than it's like scary, ominous, and that the movie's called Alien, right? And Alien's a little bit more specific in general like we know there's going to be an alien creature but we don't know what that alien creature is going to be we would be interesting to see how how that idea was marketed or if they like in the marketing they like made it clear that these are some sort of space vampire we do i mean we get everything that uh is promised though there's space yeah and then there's vampires that's true and in one scene there's actually an incredible like maybe the greatest blood-sucking moment in the history of cinema where there's sort of like a gravitational effect. Oh yeah. The the blood is sucked out of the eyeballs and the mouths of two characters and forms into a blood clot Mm -hmm. and then turns into the vampire girl. Yeah. It's very cool. It's one of the grossest and weirdest and coolest things I've ever seen in a movie. And it's just like, and it's completely out of, out of like, out of the blue. You do not see it coming. It's just like everything's happening and all of a sudden like, oh shit, this is happening. Very, very like, yeah, like very shocking, unique, cool idea. And the movie has lots of stuff like that. I mean, one, I will say just in general, I am a fan of alternate takes on vampire lore uh, like this or something like Kronos where the vampires are created from like a little machine. They're made out of watches. Made out of watches (laughs) created by, you know, Spanish alchemists in the 14th century or something. You have to go to the repair shop every hundred years. Yeah. Get your, get your little, uh, vampire watch fixed. Um, you know, Stakeland, for example, I'm, I'm always, I'm always like, even if the movie's not very good, I'm kind of like, I always like these alternate takes on it. And I think this is a very cool one. Um, (laughs) I like Stakeland. And yeah. I think that's a cool title. But sometimes when I hear people say it out loud, it makes me think of like a like a, a like a restaurant in like the middle of uh, <laughs> yeah. Texas. It only works <laughs> it only works in print. <laughs> it only works in print, it works really well. If you say it, it sounds really goofy. Uh, so I like this concept of the of the space vampires, how they work how they're different and the fact that like we've learned that they have been to earth before and that's where all of our legends come from and it's just been tweaked and distorted over time you know yeah that's always great to hear like uh you know this legend the ancient legend is actually alien in origin that's always like a fun and exciting way to look at things 
And those opening scenes, like the first opening scenes of the movie, are phenomenal. When we first encounter the spaceship and them, them going on the spaceship, discovering the dead, floating, dried up, like bat monster corpses just floating around loose in the spaceship, finding the finding the, the crystal coffins with the human-looking vampires inside. All that stuff is really rad. I wish there was I wish there was more of it. In fact, I think you could have that gap of Steve Railsback's character disappearing for an extended period of time if we spent a little bit more time with him at the beginning, you know. Maybe some of that stuff when he when he finally shows up again and starts talking about cuz that scene the opening scene ends with them finding just finding the the crystal, you know, a coffin space vampires and be like, wow, this is amazing. We got to take them back to the ship. And then it ends. Then there's another flashback later of them actually bringing them back to the ship, putting them in, you know, this dock, everyone talking about it, all that stuff. Maybe we've had that up front and we had spent more time with Steve Railsback's character. It would have been easier to uh, accept the, the, the gap in time where he's missing for, you know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie. It really bothers you that he leaves. It only, in general, I, I, I'm just trying to, because I was thinking when I was, you know, I've seen this movie many times. And when I was starting the movie again today, and it's been, a, you know, I'd say it's probably been a, like four or five years since I've seen it. When I was starting it today, uh, for today, I was like, who are the other characters? And I'm just like, there's, there's that, there's that old like biologist guy who who dies at the end. Like there's some sort of like cop or army guy, but I can't remember. He has curly hair. I was like just trying to remember the other characters and they weren't memorable. And the main memorable character of the movie is just gone for so long that in this context, I don't think it works. You know, I started thinking about the types of movies where it does work. And I started thinking about like, uh, like war movies where it's like big ensemble cast. Right. And you keep going back and forth between characters and like something like the great escape. Right. And so certain characters may not be on screen for 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but it doesn't matter because you're moving to all these different pieces and everybody's every characters, the characters are one, you know, all the characters are better in that movie. And, everyone has these very specific part to plays and you're jumping or, or stuff where you're like jumping locations. You're going to this part of the globe and then this part and this part, this is all happening. This is all like this. We're following the story in, in a pretty contained environment, not like building, but it's like environment. Like we're going with these same characters throughout, except for the main character. The main character is gone for half of the movie. And the characters that show up in his loo are the least compelling characters in the movie. So that's that's my that's my main issue. I think you there's I think there's a way you could do this where it works and there are movies where you have these big gaps um, with the main character being missing. I mean like there's movies where the main character switches halfway through the movie like in Psycho or we don't even meet the main character until 20 or 30 minutes into the movie. But there has to be something else in its place to drive what's going on and get us invested. Yeah. I don't really like any of the characters to be honest. They're not very terribly likable. I also am confused by the nature of evil in this movie. 
Like we're supposed to accept that this uh, naked girl is somehow like the most evil creature to ever have lived. And all it does is lust for destruction and mayhem and, you know, wants to take over the planet and stuff. But it doesn't seem like that. I never get the idea that like the characters are, the, the, the vampires are actually evil. But I just understand. I mean, if you ask any of these British guys in their little jackets, uh, I think they would argue differently. Well, that's from their perspective, though. They're under. Yeah, they're panicking. They're under, yeah, they're panicking. They're essentially under attack. At you no know. point did they just try and sit down and have a conversation about what uh, the agenda was here. Right. Maybe if we had like the what's the the Faladin character, he should have maybe he sh- he should have been a, a larger role, but he kind of shows up, you know, a little bit after the beginning and shows up again at the end, right? And he's the but he's the one who figures out what's going on before Steve Railsback comes and gives more information. You know, like, of the base idea of, like, hey, there's this weird thing going on. Who's got any ideas? It's him, right? He's the one who figures out how to uh, kill kill the vampires. It's him. But he's barely in the movie and just pops up again at the end. But he's probably the most interesting character in the entire thing, you know? Or at least has the potential to be. You know, he's pretty paper thin as he's written. I think ultimately for me that this movie is like purely like visual. Like if you turn off the sound, even though I think the music is pretty good, if you turn off the sound, it's so incredible to look at. And like it, it if anything that's a credit to uh the direction and photography because from visually like you can figure out what's going on and understand the story just by looking at it. Right. Even though all the extra like exposition and everything is I guess helpful. It uh, it's all right there, like you can right. understand what's happening, like where the characters are, what they're doing, what the these creatures are, and sort of the way that they feed off of people, the the eventual kind of uh, chaos and Armageddon that hits London, or the final battle. Like it it all reads very well like that is like a credit to like the caliber of talent that is behind it. Like you just said, the score is really good. Well, the score is by Henry Mancini, who's like a legendary composer. The cinematographer uh, was the cinematographer of Return of the Jedi. The editor did a bunch of Bond movies. These were all like top tier talent. These weren't uh, working on the, working on this movie. Uh, it wasn't, it was and people who had worked on big productions before. So it wasn't like, uh, we got it in over our heads or anything like that. Everyone knew what they were doing. It seems like even Hooper, who I think is kind of has a spotty record before and after this, but has undeniably made some really good movies. You know, I, I guess perhaps more of the issue lies within the screenplay itself. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. Like maybe like maybe the structure of the screenplay, but even then I like don't I'm not like I don't think anything about this movie is bad. I'm just talking about like what stopped it from being like instantly recognized as an all time classic. Like why was why wasn't this, you know, considered on the same level of now I'm just trying to blank on it, a movie's period. Well, it's funny because I would actually put this up with uh, something like Daybreakers. If, if someone was like, I want to watch a vampire movie, but not like a traditional yeah. v- 
vampire movie. I would say like watch like Life Force, watch Daybreakers. Yeah. Obviously Near Dark if you want something a little more like kind of punk rock. Uh and then maybe like 30 days of night if you want something like seasonal and kind of uh-huh. in a different backdrop. I think this movie's way better than 30 days of night. Well, yeah, definitely, yeah. but there there aren't movie a lot of movies like 30 days of night. Sure. Yeah, I got you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I with Daybreakers, that's, you know, that which it actually ultimately became a pretty good movie when I saw it, but I understand why that movie flopped. And cuz the marketing of that movie, like it turned me off instantly. Because this is how like when I watched it, this was the impression I got. In a world where everyone's a vampire, some people are not vampires. I'm like, uh, it just seemed like groan inducing, like overly high concept dumb movie. Yeah, I remember like watching that movie far removed from its release date and being like, Wow, this is a really clever and interesting setup and like there's lots of great things about it as I watched it, but it was nothing that I saw in any of the initial marketing. Same. When I saw it, when I finally watched it, I was like, this is actually really good. You know, it's not like a classic or anything, but it's, yeah. it's really entertaining. And it's, you know, has some cool, unique ideas, you know, and all the stuff that I thought was going to be stupid was actually executed pretty well. I think it's going to be considered a classic. I think it's definitely going to like, yeah, there's definitely the potential for it to gain traction, you know, over time. 10 years from now 15 years from now for sure i think for especially for people who are growing up in the last 20 years i think they'll look at it it's really going to sort of stick with them especially from that the whole angle of like we're vampires living as the majority in society now the the Mm -hmm. sort of uh power has shifted and we also we work at a big pharmaceutical company trying to solve the issue of like sustainable blood sourcing (laughs) Yeah, I think people are gonna, they're not gonna forget that. Which I mean, like, and if you, when you describe the plot like that, I'm like, that sounds so much cooler to me than the previews uh, made it out to be. But also, how do you market that movie, right? Yeah. How do you market the like the the bureaucratic bureaucratic problem of just like, um, and we don't have enough blood. Like, how are we gonna how are we gonna uh, you, like you just said make sustainability in, in blood sources? Yeah, how do you, how really do you what wink the mo- at the audience and say, we got a real clever plot set up for you? Yeah. We hope you like it. <laughs> it's like, what if my, what if it was Michael Clayton, but everybody in Michael Clayton was a vampire? Yeah. That's the movie. Last night I watched, uh, I was trying to find like if Siskel and Ebert had it on the show, and I couldn't find any clips of that, but I found Leonard Maltin. And he goes, wow, this movie's crazy. And he, he, and he can, goes on just like utterly trashing the movie. But then recommends that people go see it. Yeah. But won't say the movie's good. So it's like, he basically says like, he says all this stuff like just like how crazy the movie is, how stupid it is. And saying it in a, not in like the way we sometimes do where it's like, we love it because it's dumb. He's like saying it as negatives. And then goes, it reminds me of all the stupid sci-fi movies I saw when I was a kid. And I bet the, the filmmakers saw those too. And he goes... He goes, is this a good movie? No way. But if you go with a bunch of friends and turn your brains off, you might have fun. So you go you go see it. So basically what happened was, my interpretation is, he went to this theater and really enjoyed it. But as a critic, felt like he couldn't say it was good based on... No, he's playing that role where right. he has to, you know, dramas and character studies and things like that. These are the movies that are good and the best 
you know, example of film and why you should go to the movies. But that's not why so many people go to the movies. Like so many people go to the movies just to turn their brains off and have a good time. You but can, I don't I, think this is a brainless movie. No, I think you can do both. I mean, like, like you just said, like this movie's for you is all about the visuals. Sometimes I want, I seen like seeing a crazy looking movie or like a, a movie that's visually like dynamic, even if the story is weird or silly or stupid, like that stimulates a different part of my brain, you know, and that gets my imagination going in a completely different way, you know, and ultimately the best movies do both, but I'm okay with ones that excel in one area, but maybe not every single area, you know? Yeah, I would much prefer to watch a movie that uh, does get me excited in that way. Like a lot of people, like the a very common film criticism is this movie doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, right. that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't go into movies sort of challenging the logic at every turn and picking apart, looking for plot holes and things like that. Especially if the ideas are interesting. Okay, well, ultimately, Keith, where would you put this, you know, in the realm of, you know, 80s sci-fi horror? We're talking things like Leviathan, Alien franchise, you know, those other movies that have sci-fi and horror in them. Yeah, movies where people turn into blood and giant bats and psychically screw with other people and then destroy england okay i do have two questions when you brought you know you brought up destroy england and blood two there are two things that do confuse me i know i criticized everybody for all the critics from the 80s saying like this movie's confusing because it's not but at the end when there's all the vampires running around all of a sudden like all the new vampires are they after life force or are they after blood because it looks like they're it seems it looks like they're draining blood no the reveal is that uh one, the vampires aren't anything. Like their their form is of no consequence. They right. just take on whatever. Well, I thought their form is those. In. Those forms are those bats. That's their true form. No, not necessarily. I think it is because that's what the dead one, the dead dried up ones, look like in the spaceship. That's what the one of the male vampires turns into right before he dies after being stabbed in the gut with the with the vampire's killing stick. I think that's what they actually look like. They said they changed their form to suit their needs, but I don't think that means that they're outside. They don't have a form. It almost seems like their form is more of like a psychic form. But yeah, ultimately, that's not. It's less about the blood and more about the energy. The I'm not talking about the original vampires. I'm talking about like the the newly churned humans who have been turned into vampire zombies oh. at the end it looks like they might be out for some blood but i whatever i don't care but that's probably because they think that that's what they're supposed to do oh, right in their mind yeah. they're like this is what vampires do yeah uh and the other thing that i'm a little confused on is how did steve Railsback grow a beard that long in 30 days uh because there's no gravity in space oh okay okay all my questions have been answered then i'm pretty sure that doesn't like that's not correct, but I mean we're talking about pet peeves in like the last episode. Beards growing too fast is one of my j- j- biggest pet peeves in the movie. That's something that does drive me bonkers. It just really takes me out of it takes me out of the moment. No, it doesn't. You don't <laughs> no, even that... think about it. You're just doing it as a bit. You think it's uh, fun and quirky. I, I'm not. This is some. This is like one of the things that like 
drives me insane. You know, everyone's got that thing. It's like, I hate it in movies when this happens, blah, 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 blah. Or I know that's not how it works in real life because I actually install washing machines. You know, this drives me nuts. Yeah. It's funny, but it, it's, it drives me nuts. Anyway, I digress. I love Life Force. You love Life Force. Everyone should live, love, love Life Force. So that kind of wraps it up for this episode. Thanks, everybody. Um, we got some fun stuff coming up. We're doing like a maybe, I can't talk about it too much yet, but we're going to be probably doing a live event. So more information on that to come. Exciting shows in the pipeline, maybe. I don't know. I mentioned this last time, but we have a new merch store up. If you want to buy some merch, head over to our Instagram, at Trash Heap uh, Podcast or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't fucking know what that it is. That was a good try, man. Uh, no, no, that was that was good. I like a good try. Uh, at trashheap.pod something. You'll find it. You'll find it. Uh, and then you can hit on that link, and you can buy stuff that you're not going to wear. Yeah, thanks to everybody who's bought something so far. Uh, I know you've been waiting a while. I, too, have been waiting a while. Uh, I ordered something a while ago. It is just now shipped, so just uh, be patient. It's coming. You're going to get it. It's not a trick or anything. We didn't just take your money and run off to the Bahamas. Oh man, we should do that. Oh, if only. If only, if only we could, we could, we could do that off of three shirt t-shirt sales. We'd be sitting pretty. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, that wraps it up for this episode. And Keith, what do you always say? The web of destiny carries your blood and soul back to the genesis of my life form. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Show's over. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing. <laughs>